Hey everybody, this is Jay Izzo, and welcome again to A New Direction, where we try to help people find a new direction in their life, in their business, and in their career. And I could not be more excited about today's show. I say that every week, right, that we do this together, is that, oh, this is going to be a really exciting show. But it really is an exciting show, because we're going to talk about something that affects, I promise you, it affects every one of us. I promise you that there's not one person and that is listening to me or watching me right now on Facebook Live that's not affected by what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about alcoholism. And we're going to, we're going to talk to about it, not only in terms of what is it, but how it affects young people. You know, I mean, if you think about it, there's probably not a family in this entire world not entire, there's not probably not even a person in this entire world that somehow we haven't been affected by either knowing somebody or having a family member that who was an alcoholic and all the things that come with that. And there could be a lot of things. And, and we're going to talk to Mark Treitler today. And he, he's got a couple books that are just fantastic that we're going to talk about. And I, this is going to be a show that I'm telling you, folks, if you know somebody who is... If you know someone who's dealing with this issue of alcoholism and this is the show that you want them to listen to because this is going to be a show where I'm telling you they're going to, we're going to help them try to find answers. We're going to try to get them the right and lead them into a new direction in their life because I'm going to tell you Mark Treitler has found a new direction in his life as a result of this and, and I'm so excited because um, his daughter, Leanna, who is not with us today, but she's contributed to these books and what a beautiful young lady, even from the age of 11, when they started writing these books. What an amazing, amazing young lady. So this is a family effort, and I couldn't be more excited. But what I do every week is I check in with you. And I ask you about the four areas of your life, right? On a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing in the four areas of your life, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? So let's start physically. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being you couldn't be any worse, 10 you couldn't be any better, how are you doing physically? You taking care of your body? You taking care of yourself? Are you putting the right things in your body? Are you working out some? Are you taking care of your heart? Do you have to be on medications? Are you taking those regularly like the way you're supposed to? Maybe you're supposed to be on a vitamin regimen. Are you doing that? Are you doing the things that you're supposed to be doing for your body? Because it's so important. Because I can tell you that physically when we feel good, right, it kind of just filters through everything else. It filters through our mental, emotional, and even spiritual state. So how are you physically on a scale of 1 to 10? And remember, the goal here isn't to go from a 1 to a 10. It's if you're a 4, I want to get you to a 5. If you're a 2, I want you to get to a 3. And if you're as high as a 7, I still want you to get to an 8. Because remember, we're on a journey. This isn't a destination thing. So how are you doing physically? Number two, how are you doing mentally? What are you doing to expand your mind? How are you growing your mind? What are you, what are you planting in your head? What are the things that you're learning? I, I always want people to learn. Do you know? Do you realize it doesn't matter how old we are? Our body may fail us when we get older, but our mind doesn't have to, right? So what are you doing to expand your mind, to grow your mind, to keep your mind learning and active? And remember, there are two sides to our brain, right? We have that right side, which is more creative, and that left side that is more logical. So we need to exercise both sides of it. And so what are you doing to exercise both sides of your brain and making it better? And remember, scale of 1 to 10. What are you doing for yourself mentally? And then what can you do to change it? And then third, how are you doing emotionally? What's going on emotionally with you? Right? Are you able to control your emotions? 
Or do little things get to you too easily? Or maybe you feel victimized, right? That's one of the things that our emotions, when we're out our, when our emotions are out of control, we feel like the world is victimizing us, right? And the more we're in control of our emotions, the less we have to feel like a victim and the more we can feel like a victor. Ooh, see what I did there? Right? Because our emotions could play that game with us in terms of taking away uh, uh, the ability for us to overcome. And then finally, spiritually. Where are you at spiritually on that scale of 1 to 10? Right? And, and, and I say every week, right, this is, a, this is about what are you connected to outside of yourself that you believe in, that you have faith in. And if, and if it, that you have a faith in God, how is that relationship going? Right? I know people are connected to a lot of other things. And, but how are you doing, right? Because, you know, when we're connected to something outside of ourselves, it causes us to believe in a different way. And it, it drives us. Beliefs drive us, believe it or not, right, in a funny way. But they do. What we believe drives where we're going to go, what we're going to do, how we're going to act, right? Because that is the spiritual part of us. So how are you doing in that area? How could you get better in those four areas? So that check yourself in. What's your score? Don't be disappointed if it's low. And remember, these four areas are like the legs of a chair. I say this every week too, right? If you, they're not level, right? If you've got one that's a 10 and one that's a 6 and one that's a 2 and one that's a 3, well, that's a pretty uneven chair. It's hard to sit in, right? Well, that's true. That's what's going on in your life. And if they're so low, if they're all threes, well, you're sitting on a pretty low chair, which makes things a little difficult at the dinner table, right? So the goal here is to raise the chair to the right level to where you're to where you're good, knowing that your chair is going to change from day to day. But that's what we're trying to do is make the chair level and make it a good fit for you. So keep working towards improving every bit, every single day. So check in with yourself every day. And that brings into my next guest, because I know he checks in with himself all the time. His name is Mark Treitler. Um, and I, I, I love, Mark and I share the same publicist, and Richard Kuritz writes our introductions when we do radio shows or podcasts or whatever we do, or we do TV or something like that. And so I, I'm, I want to read this if, if you're watching, and you're watching, by the way, if you're watching on Facebook Live, you're watching my camera do crazy things of going in and out. I don't, don't ask me why it's doing that. I have no idea, but it is. So, anyway, Mark Treitler is now a man on a mission, but less than a decade ago, he was a man in trouble. And he never knew it until he overheard his daughter say, quote, we had a good time, but daddy drank a lot, unquote. Recent Gallup poll studies show the higher the income people earning more than $75,000 a year, the more likely those people are to drink. About 81% of those high earners consume alcohol at least semi on a semi-regular basis, and the higher the education, the more, the more likely they are to reach towards an alcoholic beverage. Folks, if you've been in college, you know this is true, right? I mean, you know it's true. And if you've been to grad school like I have, you, you get, it even gets worse. Now these statistics do not necessarily lead to the conclusion at the higher the position the person has, the more prone they are to drink, to have, or have other um, substance abuses. But the keen sense of logic seems to assume this. Many of these people are also what we would call high-functioning alcoholics. In the minds of many, the concept of the high-functioning alcoholic has become synonymous with executives who hide their drinking problems from co-workers and subordinates. Although this association isn't entirely right because high-functioning alcoholics are found in all walks of life and at all income levels, but there are some correlations because of executive-level stress and alcoholism, and it is on the rise. 
Recent studies show increasing alcoholism among women executives, possibly caused from social pressures in order to keep up the guys, right? And from the stress of balancing work and family life. Alcoholism is a devastating illness for anyone, as we all well know, but executives frequently use their positions and privileges to deny the disease long past the point of no return. Our guest today, Mark Treitler, has been down that road. A successful executive and lawyer, uh, he not only battled his disease, battled the disease of alcoholism, but with the support of his family, told his story in a book directed towards the children, preteens, and families that are also part of any recovery story. Although the book is not for them, it is very simply a story that should be read by adults because with over 70% of our population drinking and an estimated 20% with alcohol problems, the story very is very easy to relate to. In this series, we're going to talk to Mark about his observations and his story. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show. And Mark Traitler, welcome to A New Direction. Thanks, Jay. I enjoyed the uh, the, the introduction, and I, I took my score as well, so I, <laughs> I enjoyed that part. You know, you know, it's interesting. I have guests who, when they come onto the show, they will say to me uh, things like, you know, I, I, I took the inventory. Well, as I've listened to you, I'm taking the inventory of myself, and I'm going... Gosh, I, I I don't know that I really want to know that score. <laughs> Do I really want to know that? I and I I get it all the time, and and yet I know that when I do it, the guests listen to it because they don't know. I mean, you know, you and I have a little pre-conversation, but you didn't know that that's what I'm going to do. But I know that that's what ends up happening. So how did you do? I mean, if, if you don't mind being honest, how did you do on your scores? Uh, I was pretty good physically. Yeah. I'm a little tired today. Spiritually and emotionally, I was doing all right, and uh, mentally, I. Uh, uh, I do a good job of keeping that active uh, with a lot of activities. So, good for you. Uh, certainly can get better as we all can. And if you don't, if you don't look at yourself with scores or other uh, other things. How can you get better, right? Right. No. 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 You're absolutely. You're absolutely right. So I want to tell you that I, I read, I read the book from cover to cover. My dad is an alcoholic, right? And I, I read that book, and I, and and I read it from cover to cover, and I was like, whoa, whoa, my dad is now calling, and it's and it's a great story because it's your story, and at the same time you're trying to educate folks, and and you have a new book, we're going to talk about that too, but I want to start with the older book first, but I I read the book and I went, wow, and then of course Leanna, who's your daughter, and I think she was she around eleven at that time when you wrote that book. Yeah, she wrote it over a couple of years, 11 or 12. She's 17 now. But, yeah, she was very young and yeah. uh, uh, wise for her age when she wrote her part. Holy cow. Talk about wise. I mean, every time, you know, you, you would talk and then she had her little devotional moment, right? I mean, it was like a little devotional moment. That's how I, that's the only way I could describe yeah, it. Yeah. And she had some biblical verse that she attached to whatever was going on in the situation. And... It was, and you could just hear her heart. Every time she wrote something, you just heard her heart, right? Trying to not just do her own form of catharsis, but trying to help whoever was going to read this book at whatever age, right? And it was brilliant. Yeah. It was brilliantly done. And so. I, I, I mean, how was that experience for the both of you trying to write this together, that first book together? Um, you know, she uh, one, one thing about Leanna, she she's very uh, self-motivated. She did she decided to add the Bible verses on her own, 
so she wrote she wrote her part and then put the bible verses and uh and uh so that it, it was very easy uh to get her to participate you know it was uh uh ha- having a family bond uh over a topic like this and do, writing a book and you know we were on WGN a couple weeks ago together sitting in the studio it's uh it's pretty powerful um it's amazing to see your kids uh you know help spread a message uh uh, you know, as important as this. Um, and then, you know, the, uh, you know, reading, um, you know, uh, we alcoholics like to deny that, uh, we cause or, or ignore the damage that we cause, uh, in our past to, to children or spouses or coworkers or clients. Uh, but certainly to read her, uh, her portions of the chapters, there's, you know, some of them were, uh, tugged on my heart, uh, a little bit cause they were, you know, they were, they were the truth and, you know, hearing that, you know, she was, during drunk fights with my wife, she'd go in a room and hide her, you know, cover her ear with the pillow. Nobody likes to think that actually, you actually do that to your kids, but reading is a, is a good reminder of, uh, 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 of what, what could be. And, and let, let me ask you this. When, you know, because the, the book, the book kind of tells you, you kind of tell the story that you took her to a concert, right, and you were going to have this mother-daughter time. I mean, father-daughter time, excuse me. You're going to yeah. have father-daughter time, right? And so you, you'd go to the concert. And I, I listen, I've been to these concerts. They serve alcoholic beverages and things like that as well. And uh, so you were, but you were going to spend time and you were, you really were going to spend time with her. And you just didn't, was it just, you just didn't realize how many you were drinking. But she comes home and mom says, how, how was the concert? And she basically said it was great, but daddy drank a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, I, you know, you know I, th- I think a lot of alcoholic parents, uh, realize at some level that they're not really present for their kids or they're not really there emotionally for their kids. So they try to, at least I did try to make up for that with, uh, with gifts or vacations or daddy daughter, uh, concerts. So that was, you know, I put a lot of focus on and a lot of excitement on, on just this concert for some, uh, uh American Idol kid and David Archuleta or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so I was very excited for it. I knew I'd been slacking in other areas, and then to hear that uh, that was the first you know thought on her mind after that entire event. Um, you know, fortunately, she told my wife that, and my wife told me that because that you know, uh, alcoholics and drug addicts they all have their own different bottoms. Um, but you know, for some reason, that was it for me. Uh, that's all. That's that's after ten years of trying to quit. That's uh, that that one little. Uh, piece of information was what put me over the edge to finally get, you know, ask for help. And, and this, this was how long ago? Six years ago? No, we're, we're like nine, over nine years now. Nine years. So nine years now. That's amazing. Good for you, by the way. Congratulations. Well, thank you. This, you know, this, I have, my, my background is in psychology. And so I am accustomed to seeing this issue and in families on, on a regular level and seeing how people deal with this on a number of different levels because you know, I, I think the general public has a misconception of alcoholism. I think they, and you address this, by the way, where I think they think, well, they just are weak-willed. That's the reason why they can't drink. But that's completely wrong, right? Yeah, unfortunately... Uh that's completely wrong, and that's what keeps a lot of people from ever getting better. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, I, 
I think I'm a pretty good example of that. The people that know me and what I've, you know, what what I can put my mind to and accomplish, and and uh, I, I don't have a weak will. I don't think anybody would ever say that about me. Um, but I couldn't stop drinking, uh, and and then I thought I didn't have enough willpower. Um, and you know, when when you think it's willpower, uh, yourself especially, others do as well. But when you think it's willpower, it's hard to reach out for help. Why would I? You know, why would I go see some uh, psychologist? Or why would I go to AA? I don't need them. I can, you know, I just, I'll just put my mind to it. You know, just like uh, when I went on a diet and lost 50 pounds, uh, you know, or something like that. It's right. willpower, and you just think you can do it, so you don't ask for help, and that's the problem. And, and, and so we talk about, you talk about this word pretty consistently, denial, right? And I, I, I've, yeah. I've learned an acronym for denial, which is don't even know I am lying. Is my acronym, is my acronym yeah. for denial, right? Because yeah, because right, we we don't even know we're lying to ourselves, right? When it comes to alcoholism. Yeah, I mean, you definitely uh, you definitely um, entrench yourself with so many lies uh, to others that you really start to believe it. Um, you know, from you know the. You know, how many drinks you had to your wife or where you went. Uh, did you really just go to Vaughn's? Did you stop by the liquor store? And then telling people you don't have a problem. Because every alcoholic is questioned. I mean, you can't, uh, the, the disease progresses enough where you can't really hide it. I mean, you're going to get out of control at a wedding or a work function or you're, you're going to pass out, you know, uh, on the floor of your bathroom. That, that's just inevitable. And then you just, you know, you, you learn to lie really quick about it. Oh, I took, uh, I took the wrong, uh, uh, you know, psychiatry meds. Uh, is something I hear a lot from people, and, and it made me slur my, uh, my speech. So, yeah, you start to lie so much, and the disease is, you know, so, such a powerful voice in your head that you really do start to believe it. Um, you know, certainly you don't in the mornings. Right. <laughs> you know, when you wake up hungover, it's like a... I used to describe it, uh, you know, two different people, the morning mark and the, and the night mark. In the morning, you realize you got a problem. You don't remember what you did last night. Right. You had 15 shots of tequila at a bar, you know, for a, a work function. And so in the morning, you realize it, you know, but once that craving starts about noon, yeah, ah, I don't have a problem. Wow. So, so how do, I'm, I'm going to ask a real basic question because I, I know that the listeners are going to ask me this question. Right, and and they will, and they're going to have probably questions for you. And by the way, when we post this, when we post this up on jizo.com, where you will be able to hear the replay of the show, will also be on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, uh, and every possible Google Play. You name it, it's going to be out there. Uh, on you'll be able to find this replay. One of the things that I know people are going to ask is there is they're sitting around is. How, how do how do we define what an alcoholic is? How do we define that? Uh, yeah, that's no, a good question. And it's the same answer for drug addicts, uh, addiction or alcoholics. So there's two things. Uh, I would say, first of all, if you think somebody has a problem in your family or your job or your 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 you know your friend circle of friends, they almost always do. Okay. So if you think they do, despite their efforts to hide it, they probably do. So that's I, I would just say that for uh, people on the outside. Um, you know, it, you know, for, for each individual, I like to describe it as that when it, when it turns from a, a want to a need. So, uh, you, you might have, Jay, you might have a long, uh, long day at work today and you want to go out and uh, have a beer and watch some, uh, the NFL tonight. Uh, but 
back in my day or, or an, a, you know, an active alcoholic, they have to go find a place to have a beer. So it's not a, it's not that they want to, they need to go somewhere, whether it's, uh, it, whether they're taking their kids out, they need to make sure that restaurant has beer. Or if they're going out with their, their wife, they, they need to make sure there, you know, there's a place to order wine or a bar nearby. So, uh, uh, it's changing from a want to a need, and you know, if you want something, you can live without it. If you need it, it's uh, that's a different story. So, so is it almost like people will plan, people will plan their almost plan their day around the whatever they're addicted to? Oh, without question, without question, yeah. Uh, so, whether it's if you're a drug addict, then you gotta, you know, you, you gotta get your pills. Or you, you know, unfortunately, all across the country, they gotta get their heroin shot. But even with alcohol, it's not as you know, it's the it's not as uh, difficult. You don't have to go down to the corner uh, store and find a drug dealer. But you know, with alcohol, yeah, if you're an active alcoholic, every day you need to, uh, every day you subconsciously or consciously, you know, you need to find a place to drink that night. Um, so it's you know, if if you're uh, on a business trip, you think about, all right, is there going to be a bar in that hotel? If not, should I sneak on those little uh, those little bottles? Um, you know, can I take, how many ounces can I take uh, without having to, uh, you know, have TSA ticket? Um, you know, if you, if, you, if you step back and look at uh, the, the places where parents take kids and how many of those places have alcohol, you know, that's quite helpful for an alcoholic. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence. So, no, I, you know, I, here, I agree. Chuck E. Cheese, yeah. SeaWorld, you know, every sporting event. Right. Um, just think about Chuck E. Cheese and they serve beer. I, I, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's what an alcoholic looks for when they take out their kids. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, I could see that. I, I can, I could see that, and it isn't a coincidence, right? I mean, Chucky, I, I'm, and listen, I'm, I'm not trying to bash Chuck E. Cheese. That's not what I'm here to do either. But the truth of the matter is, they set it up as a fun place for kids, but they've created some adult. They've got an adult section for the adults. Yep. Right where they where they do that, and I know that you've crossed over because I know your new book, Alcohol, Drugs, and You: A Young Person's Guide to um, a- Avoiding Addiction. I know that from your first book to this book, uh, there's a lot of consistencies here that we're talking about because th- this you you have went into a long, long, long explanation in here to the genetic effects that are passed down uh, when it comes to alcoholism or, or addiction, actually, in general, is that there's a genetic predisposition more than likely. Or, I mean, do we know that, or is that absolutely true? There's a genetic predisposition to addiction. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's absolutely true. There's been, studies for, uh, there's been studies for decades, and, you know, the, all the top scientific studies, you know, looking at, Separated twins uh, that you know are <laughs> that have it in their family in different countries and and blind studies and med- just looking at data, um, you know the, uh, the rea- every study has come back uh, and shown you know for whatever reason if it's a predisposition or if it's uh, or if it's an actual uh, you know uh, part of the DNA uh, if if you have addiction in your family you know at some generation maybe not your parents but your grandparents or even an aunt or uncle, you're you can be uh, you can be four to five times more likely to you know to become an alcoholic than uh, you know, your friend sitting next to you in high school. So you know 400 percent higher chance of having an issue 
it's something you need to take seriously, and that's why we wrote the first book to you know to uh, to focus on those kids and at least give them a fighting chance. Which, by the way, I, I commend you uh, doing this because you know, I, I, listen, I don't think parents want to hear this. Maybe we ignore it. I don't know if we do or not. Maybe we do know it, or we go, we pass it off, go, well, they're just being kids or whatever. But drinking starts at a young age. Any, well, actually, drugs, the whole thing is starting younger and younger, right? I mean, this... Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, this is not... This isn't something where we're going, oh, well, this is just affecting adults. No, 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 no. I, I think one of the things that... I don't know if you said it exactly this way, but this is how I took it. it it's kind of like, if you have a genetic predisposition to this, you don't know when that switch is going to be flipped where it could be one drink, 10 drinks, 15 drinks, or, you know, smoking this or using that or whatever, where all of a sudden it clicks on and then you're not, you're, you're all in. It becomes what you describe as a need at that point. Yep. And I think that switch is what's unique. Yeah. And this, the, so we like to describe it as uh, a light switch going on, and it's not a good light switch. It's, it's when that light switch of addiction goes on in your brain, and then it never goes off for the rest of your life. So, um, you know, whether it's, you know, first uh, you know, shot of heroin, you know, there's a lot of people that report after that first shot, you know, they're addicted for life. Um, or it's, you know, drinking for a couple years in college. Uh, we don't know exactly when it turns on, but what we do know is that light switch turns on a lot quicker uh, for people with uh, addiction in their in their DNA and in, in their genetic makeup um, so you know it's there, there's there's thousands of people that um, you know that say that are now uh, either recovering or active alcoholics or addicts that they felt addicted the first time they tried alcohol or drugs so um, yeah you're right you know what might be just uh, quote you know the parents thought of as innocent ex- experimentation in high school in the 60s now we know that, you know, for a certain amount of people that, that quote, experimentation is going to change the rest of their life. And we're, so that's why we're trying to get this message out to kids, you know, as young as uh, 10 and 11 in middle school, because uh, as you mentioned, the, uh, the, the age when people first, um, where, where kids first try drugs or alcohol can be as, you know, as young as 12 or 13 now. That blows me away, Mark, that, that we're, we're having to reach preteens with with this message that just blows me that blows me away yeah I, you know, a lot of it is the ease of things in our society um you know you can uh you can go on craigslist and uh, have have drugs delivered or or now in my state and a lot of other states uh, you know despite the medical evidence that it's not a good idea that marijuana is legal um you know you, kids are on their on their cell phones all days uh it's very easy to get things um, you know, a lot of uh, parenting is uh, evaporating. The you know, things that parents talk about with their kids is evaporating. It's uh, society's becoming instant gratification. You know, there's probably a thousand reasons why it's becoming younger uh, for for you know experimentation with drugs or alcohol, but it's a fact. And 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 why do you think it's why do you think it's getting so much younger? Because I don't. I mean, I don't believe that it was always this young. I, 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 I don't believe it was. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe it's always been this way. No, it's getting younger, for sure. Uh, but why why is that happening? I think a lot of it's social media. 
A lot really? of it's, uh, uh, you know, parents are, 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 you know, focused on their cell phones as well, uh, rather than talking to their kids. Um, you know, they, they, let's not overlook the fact that marijuana is being legalized in giant states across the country. That That's a direct uh, contributing factor to, to kids trying it early. Oh, it's not illegal for my parents, so why can't I try it? Um, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons. Those are probably three of the top ones. Wow. Wow. We're talking with Mark Treitler. He is author of the book, Alcohol, Drugs, and You, A Young Person's Guide to Avoiding Addiction. He also has a book that he previously wrote with his daughter, Leanna, entitled, My Daddy's an Alcoholic. My Dad's an Alcoholic. And what about me? So, which, by the way, both are just outstandingly great books. You need to go to Amazon, and you need to get these books, pick them up, go to their website. You need to check them out, because I'm telling you, these are just absolutely fantastic. You're going to want to... Uh, just folks, we are living in a society today where the boundaries are getting blurred in terms of what we determine is right or wrong. And folks, I don't care. Alcoholism, addiction destroys families. It destroys individuals. It destroys careers. It destroys marriages. It destroys parents parent relationships with their children and so for us to just kind of you know neglect it or to ignore it or to say oh well that doesn't affect me you are so wrong it affects all of us on some level we're all affected by this disease okay I, I promise you you know somebody at your your work I promise you you have a friend or you have a friend of a friend or a family member or another family that you know that they're dealing with this and you're watching this. I remember growing up in a small town. No, this is no lie. Small town of 119 people. 119 people in Nebraska. Listen to me. 119 people in Nebraska. And I knew a family. I knew, matter of fact, I knew two families. Three families. In that little town where they could hide four families. I'm thinking about it now. Wow. Four families were dad and sometimes dad and mom were both alcoholics all day long, neglected their kids. I watched them on the street and I watched what happened to some of them. I watched some of them turn awful and 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 they would prefer jail than to being at home. It's, I'm not making this up. I'm telling you the truth and the story. And I am telling you what Mark has done here with this with these books is phenomenal because he's trying to reach not just the younger generation which is intentional but he's also trying to get your attention adult here to pay attention to what's going on in the world around you you can't ignore this anymore and, and is, isn't that kind of the message mark that we just can't we just can't ignore this i mean if the statistics are fairly overwhelming um there's more overdoses deaths now uh from from just opiates than there are people dying in car accidents or people dying from handguns so you know you turn on the news and everybody you know as tragic as they all are you know handgun deaths or gun deaths there's more people dying from you know opiate overdoses across the country and most of them are young people so you know i tell parents hey so you you lock up your gun right you have a gun safe um do you lock up your medicine cabinet where you have uh, where you have opiates from your, you know, your your latest surgery, where your your kids can access that. Right. 
the answer is no, we need to start rethinking things because those are killing more kids than, than guns. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, like or don't like President Trump, he, he declared it a, an epidemic um, earlier this year, and that's what it is. It's, uh, it's, it's at rates that we've never seen in any country, um, and, and it's only going up. The addiction and the death rates are only going up. You, you, know, you know what, Mark? I got, I got to tell you something. I was teaching a psychology class at a private university, <laughs> and it was, a, it was an intro, intro psychology class, and I was teaching, focused mostly on medical-based students. It's, they were going to do something in the medical field. And I was telling them that the United States is the number one consumer of opium in the world. We, 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 I, think we, I think last time I looked, the number was somewhere around $800 billion a year we do in, in opium, right? Whether legal or illegal is, is about how much money. It's, it's got to be a trillion dollars now because we're, we consume so many opiates, right, which come from opium, right? Sorry, I mean, it does. Yep. But these opiates, yep. you know, the Vicodins, the Percocets, you know, Oxycontins, uh, all these things that we, you know, take that you know that and and doctors are being I, I you know I want to I, I don't want to be too hard on the medical profession because they're yes they they have been part upon but I think they're trying I mean I, I I know that my surgeons trying I know that my doctors are trying and you know they they want to use these opiates as an absolute last resort let's let's try some other pain management let's let's do something else yeah. and so I appreciate that but this is a serious epidemic, right? I mean, these over-the-counter things. Mark, I heard a story. Tell me if I'm wrong, or tell the audience if I'm wrong on this, because I'm willing to be wrong. I heard a story where kids will go into their parents' cabinets. They'll have a great big giant salad bowl, okay? And then what they will do is they will take a giant salad bowl, and all these kids will throw in whatever they pulled from their parents' cabinets in this large bowl, and they stir it up, and then they reach in and take whatever. Have, have yeah, you... I've, heard, I've, heard, I've heard similar stories. And parents keeping prescription drugs in their medicine cabinet and not locking it is, is worse today than, than, than keeping a loaded handgun uh, on the dinner table. That's just, that's just phenomenal. They, what do they call it? They're called like M and M parties or something like that. I mean, uh, I, I, it's some crazy name. Thankfully, I don't. Thankfully, I don't know the name, but I've I've heard about them, and and you know, there's there's <laughs> there's a uh, there's a kid, unfortunately, that that lives near us. That um, it was something like that. It was he never tried drugs in high school. He went off to UC Berkeley, um, got some bad pill, and he died. And <laughs> you know, now the parents are mourning their child, and it was. Uh, you know, you you don't know what these pills are, especially now. You don't know what they're no. laced with. No, uh, right. You know, things being laced with fentanyl. Um, you know, Demi Lovato. Uh, all, all these people are dying and overdosing, and um, you know, this the, the 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 kids that that experiment. You know, that they might have like they might have in the '60s. It's different now. The drugs are different. The drugs are stronger. Um, kids are dying and becoming hooked. You know, after the first time. And you you, you mentioned the. Uh, opiate industry it's really sad in our country in our world that we're using the same drug that they had wars about 200 years ago so we're we can you know we we got a computer on our on our wrist 
and the self-driving cars, and we're going to Mars, but we don't have a effective painkiller that doesn't become, you know, get you addicted for the rest of your life. I think it's a pretty, uh, I think it's a pretty sad, you know, comment on our uh, on our pharmaceutical industry in our country because obviously we could do better. Well, obviously we can, right? I mean, obviously we can do better because we <laughs> we're the. <this, laughs> I don't want to brag, but I think we are probably the smartest company. I mean, look what we'd invent. We're inventing these drugs. We invent drugs. Turn on your TV. You can't find a drug that we didn't invent, right? I mean, I mean, we we got a drug for every. We got a drug for cholesterol. We've got a drug for how many drugs yep. do we have for cholesterol? A billion and six, yeah. right? Probably too many. Yeah, we have, you know for cholesterol, high blood pressure. We've had blood pressure pills for how long, right? I mean, it's been yep. forever as long as I can remember. And so we've got all these. We've been able to spend time in developing all these medications for other things. Why are we not? Why are we not spending the same amount of time to find another way to overcome pain? Because I've had I've had I've I've had this question before. I don't understand why we don't. Well, the, uh, unfortunately, the the answer is not a pleasant answer. The answer is uh, first of all, every common sense tells us if we wanted to develop a effective pain pill that didn't get people addicted for the rest of their lives, we could. Unfortunately, the way our you know pharmaceutical industry is set up, profit drives um, you know new uh, you know research and development, and and you know Purdue Pharmacy you know made billions and continues to make billions, not millions, billions with a B on OxyContin. Sure, does it does it help some people? Yeah, but they they know uh, you know it's their sales skyrocket because people get addicted to it. So. You know, if uh, if they weren't making money off it, then then they'd probably you know they'd be researching uh, uh, other ways to control pain. You know, I, I can t- I can have a prediction. You know, we're starting to see uh, you know lawsuits uh, you know in certain states against these companies, like we saw uh, you know Jay maybe uh, 20 years ago with with cigarettes. Um, you know, and it's changed the the landscape of smoking across the country. I I predict in 10 to 20 years. You know these uh, the, the opiates are going to become much more rare. These uh, these lawsuits are going to uh, cost these companies billions, and 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 voila, somebody's going to come out with uh, some great pain pills that, that aren't addictive. Yeah, I I, I, I got to agree with you. I, I I don't know why people I don't know why these pharmaceutical companies haven't been sued before for the addictions. Actually, yeah. Uh, uh, well, I agree. I'm glad they are now. It's uh, part of it's uh, people, you know, on, on on radio and Facebook talking about it like we are. There's been a, uh, you know, it's been a huge amount of uh, media coverage in the last three years, thankfully, on, you know, and it's not political. So you see it on CNN and Fox News and HBO, uh, entire uh, three-hour documentaries on, on entire towns getting wiped out by uh, heroin and opiates. So the, the public realizes it now, and then that gets the uh, the attorney general in these states to start thinking about, way. hey, did these, uh, so I'm a lawyer too, Jay, so right. you start thinking, um, hey, is uh, did they know this was addictive? If they did, did they, you know, did they, is that negligent? These kids that are dying, should they have known? Sort of like the cigarette argument of 20 years ago. Right, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's, there, I, I think the excuses are running thin. Honestly, I'm just going to be honest. I just think they're running thin. You, you know, you made a comment, Mark, that I want to go back to because you know my first book that I wrote was called Got Social Mediology, which I did very well with, and I and I and I'm proud of to this day. 
but I, I talk about social media being a culture and how people interact with the culture and those type of things. And you, you said to me that one of the reasons why you think or you believe that this addiction has has been so created, one of the pieces is social media. Help me understand that piece. I'm, I'm not insulted, so please don't please don't hear that. I'm not insulted by that, but I'd like to know where what you think or how you believe that that has influenced it because I think that's important. You mean this? You know how our addiction to social media yeah. and how it well, contributed I, I, how to. We, I mean, well, somehow social media may be a channel that is influencing the other addictions, the alcohol addiction or the or the drug addiction in kids. Yeah, I think. Uh, you know, certainly, I think in 10 to 20 years, we'll we'll have a, a lot more information about social media addiction. Um, but yeah, I th- you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of similarities between addictions. You know, once your brain starts getting addicted on one thing, uh, gambling or or social media now, then then you're just developing that addictive, obsessive personality. You know, is someone that's uh, is a kid that's completely addicted to uh, Snapchat now? Uh, is their brain, you know? Does, does their brain develop towards more of an addictive uh, type personality? I, I think that's probably true. Okay, so, um, so, you so, see it across other addictions. Right, So here's, but here's my question. In terms of drug addiction and alcohol addiction, I thought this is where you were going. Correct me again if I'm wrong. But I thought you were sure. going that, that social media has influenced alcohol and drug addiction. Oh yeah, I, I think that ha- I think that's uh, I, I think that's absolutely true. You know, um, <laughs> how many how many uh, how many uh, uh, billions of uh, views are uh, are you know Instagram or Snapchat posts of certain uh, you know rap stars talking about um, talking about codeine or Xanax? There's entire you know songs for Xanax. There's just little posts that. Right. You know, or little memes that now make make it through, uh, you know, 20 million kids' eyes instead of you know 20 years ago. You know, you, you'd have to distribute that for commercials or uh, or mail. You know, the the information gets around immediately. Um, you know, there's entire things on social media and the internet to to order drugs on the black market. You know, I think from influencing kids to to allowing them to order. Um, you know, to, uh, to to unfortunately spreading the negative messages from uh, certain uh, parts of Hollywood and and the music industry. It's it's all through their phone and Snapchat and Instagram. Yeah, I you know I I've got I I got to tell you that I'm really concerned about this piece because as somebody who studies social media, I'm very concerned about the influence of social media on certain behavior, and and one of them I am concerned about is this behavior of addiction of on on drugs and and everything else because i think social media first of all is largely ignored by a parental from parents standpoint right because i don't think yeah, they understand yeah. i don't think they know how to deal with it so and it's hard to monitor it is it's a, it's a ter- it's terribly difficult to monitor not only that there are so many parent i tell i asked parents i said how's you how are you using snapchat and they go what it what Snap what? Snapchat, I will say to them. They go, I don't know. I go, you know, your kids are on it. No, no, they'd let me know. No, they're on it because I'm on it and I've seen your kids on it. What? Yeah. Right? You know, and and, be, and because I am, you know, it's part of this part of my research is to study these, I call social media cultures because that's what they are. They're cultures. They're not, 
platforms, their cultures. They have their own unwritten language, their own unwritten rules, norms, and expectations, and you talk in a particular way, and that's how they function. And so they function like their own little cultures. You know, Facebook's its own little culture. Twitter, its own little culture. Snapchat. They even have one called Kick. Have you heard of Kick? K-I-K? I'm sure my kids have. I have not. Yeah, so... And there, can I tell you, that's where the parties are at. You want to know where the, the latest drug drinking party is for young kids? That's where it's at. That's where you're going to, that's where you're going to probably find it. You know, as well as the different codes that they have. I mean, they talk in code, right? So they, they, they talk in code of where the parties are at and what the parties are going to have. What kind of alcohol, to what kind of alcohol or drugs or whatever they're going to do, right? I mean, that's how I heard about this thing called M&M parties, right? What, yeah, what, yeah. Pa- what parent is going to go, oh, they're having M&M parties? Well, they don't know what that means. I, I now know what it means. Right? I mean, that's yeah, that, that's the problem. No, no you're right. It's scary. It's sad. It's, you know, social media influences kids uh, like nothing else we've seen in, in our society. So when, uh, uh, you know, pick a rapper, when, when Drake's, uh, you know, has a song about being high and drunk, one of his popular songs, and everybody's watching on YouTube and tweeting around, about it, uh, or or some popular kid at at a high school is on a you know, a beach in France with a margarita with her mom. Uh, you know that that influences kids. I I I couldn't agree more. We're talking to Mark Tritlery. He is author of a couple of books. I call drugs and you is his latest book, A Young Person's Guide to Avoiding Addiction. Uh, by the way, it provides young people with the tools that they need to avoid substance abuse and the reasons for doing so. It's a really practical, easy-to-read guide. I highly recommend that you get it. And by the way, folks, why don't you do this with your kids? By the way, Mark and I have been talking here about how this is getting younger. If you're waiting till your your young person is in their teens, it's already too late. Okay, I, I think Mark would agree with me. It's already if you're waiting till your teens to have this conversation, you're way too late. It's like waiting to. Talk to your kids back in the you know sixties and seventies about the birds and the bees. You don't tell you don't talk to them when they're eighteen, <laughs> and it's the same it's the same deal now with uh, drugs and alcohol. You, you know once you know if, <laughs> if you're talking to them when they're seventeen when they got uh, called when they got suspended from school for selling pot or selling pills it's it's unfortunately going to be too late. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, and as we've been talking about, it's just getting younger and younger. So. I really encourage you, again, the book is entitled Alcohol, Drugs, and You, A Young Person's Guide to Avoiding Addiction. And you can also look up the other book, by the way, at the same time, which is a previous book he wrote. I guess it's about six, seven years ago, but it's a great read. It's called My Dad's an Alcoholic. What about me? And I I, I have to tell you, it's a, it's a touching, absolutely fantastic book. I read it from cover to cover. It's, it's just, it's, it's really, really great. And and by the way, I was very, very amazed, and I want to commend you on this in this first book. I want to commend you about this, is a lot of people would have stayed away from the 12 steps, right? A lot of people would have stayed away from it, and you didn't. Yeah, yep. And you did not stay away from the 12-step piece, hey. and I love that. You know, I, uh, I don't, you know, I know a lot of things in the world, but I didn't know how to get sober, and, uh, uh, you know, I didn't really know how to stay sober. What I can tell you is, you know, AA was written in the 30s. Seems to work for millions of people, and other things don't. So, uh, you know, whether you, you can you can pick apart anything you want, but AA seems to work. The other <laughs> things don't. That's good enough for me. I don't need to know why. I just know I'm sober today. So the 12 steps, I'll, I'm good with them. <laughs> no, I love them. Matter of fact, uh, 
the, the, the big blue book, right? Uh, so I consult businesses and occasionally I have to deal with the owners of these businesses with issues of employees who have who are addicts, whether it be drug addiction or alcohol addiction, right? Probably every company, yeah. And I when I do their coaching or whatever like that, I have to go back to the big book to to look and say, okay, what does he say about employees? And I ha- and I have to remind these CEOs that I have to remind them and go, look, the best thing that you can do for this person is I don't care how they're producing, the best thing you could do for them if you really want them is you need to tell them they got to go because they got to clean up because they are never going to hit rock bottom because you it, we, rock bottom is when you not just that you're at the bottom but you can't go right or left that's rock bottom and they'll yeah, they'll yeah, never get there if 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 that's good, that's good advice right because, and I'm sure, as you know there's a chapter called to the employer right that's um, the chapter I'm talking about yeah 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 you're you're right they uh, look people uh, there's a phrase in a, a half measures of Alice nothing so be not uh, you know being timid uh, whether you're a boss or a wife or a friend or a brother, being timid and passive about somebody's addiction is 100% failure. Guarantee you have to be bold. Uh, it's scary. You have to you have to take the uh, the, the scary necessary actions that are very bold. Doing interventions, firing somebody, leaving somebody. Um, yeah, and you're right. That's uh, very good advice for an employer because. You know, they'll skate through and until they're in jail or hospital or death, and unless somebody draws that line for them. Yeah, and you know, I have said, and tell me if you agree with this or not, but I have said it is better for you as the manager or the owner of the company to be in control of letting that person go rather than letting their addiction all of a sudden out of the blue control you because now they're gone, and now you're scrambling. Oh, it's it, it, it's you're right. It's much better, and, and I got to tell you that we've had you know employees we we've done this for, and uh, the ones that are still sober today, you know, they they'll come back and say that was the greatest thing that's anybody anybody's ever done for me. Sure. So, um, you know, there's as you know, Jade, alcoholism and addiction is progressive. Right. Uh, gets worse over time. It's never not progressive. So the end is always death. So if someone doesn't do something. Uh, to push that alcoholic or addict to get sober, then they die. So there's a, it's a, it's a very easy choice um, if you're looking at it in the long run. But you have to take that bold step to make somebody want to go get treatment. Not just uh, it can't be a you know a half baked excuse. So you know I'll, I'll I'll slow down. I'll talk to a counselor. You know, but it has to be a very bold uh, uh, draw the line in the sand and, and try to force somebody and you know like it's life or death. So. Mark, Mark, if you were, what, what, what are, give me, give me an answer here. How do we, what is the best thing for us to do? If you could give some advice to the audience here of a new direction, what would you, what would you tell them? How would you go about doing that? I mean, outside the fact that they got to buy your book, I, you know, Alcohol, Drugs, and You, A Young Person's Guide to um, Avoiding Addiction, but outside of, outside of buying the book, what, what kind of advice could you give them right now to get them started on the road? to a new direction to changing their lives either in themselves or their children um well the, the, the first thing is pre- prevention is a lot easier uh than rehabilitation in this disease so if you have kids try to prevent it um before it starts so that's 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 step number one if you're a parent uh if one of your listeners knows somebody or they have uh an issue themselves the, the the best thing to remember is you can't fix it yourself 
nobody has ever been able to. I wasn't able to. You have to get help. And if you think somebody has a problem, you, you got to be bold about it. You got to step in. If my daughter didn't say that to my wife and my wife didn't, uh, you know, repeat that to me, we might not be having this conversation. So um, you, you, people don't get better on their own. Uh, you can't be timid. It's very easy in life to be timid uh, and just, you know, hope things change and uh, uh, hope things go away. But this is not one of those things. You have to, you have to push somebody to get help. Um, and it never gets better on its own. That's the awesome advice. And, and Mark, what is the best way for people to get a hold of you, to find more information about you, or to or what you're going, where you're going to be speaking, or where you're going to be at? Sure. Uh, you can find everything on potatoallergy.com, just like it uh, uh, it sounds. Potatoallergy.com. Uh, we have resources on there. You can replay our, uh, my daughter and I do a podcast uh, similar to UJ or, or some TV appearances that we have. You can also submit questions for the experts. We get a lot of those. So if you, if you think somebody has a problem or you think you have a problem, we'll be happy to, uh, uh, to answer and try to guide you in the right direction. You can also get copies of the books there as well. Um, we also uh, are happy to donate books to, uh, to churches or uh, youth groups or, or schools. So if you're a teacher or a uh, church leader and you'd like some of these books email us as well and we'll uh, we'll help you out and that's potato that's potato allergy.com right that's correct yeah and by the way i love that because and if people don't understand potato allergy yeah well just think about peanut allergies for a second right and then think about the fact that vodka is made from potatoes by the way i didn't make that up i read that in his book <laughs> by the way but <laughs> but if you think about potato allergy that's how it all kind of connects because nobody would ever question anybody if they have a peanut allergy. Nobody would push anybody to eat peanuts. As a matter of fact, you would avoid peanuts at all at cost. But if somebody says that they have an alcohol allergy, which, by the way, that's what the disease is, by the way, why do people keep pushing it? Or why do you keep bringing it around them? That makes no sense at all. So check out potatoallergy.com because there's so many helpful resources. And I'm telling you that uh, Mark Treitler and his daughter, Leanna, and I, his whole family is involved with this. And this is a passion of theirs, and I love it when people are so passionate about this because they're doing great for the world, which is part of what we want to do here on A New Direction is to reach as many people as we can to help people find a new direction in their life, their career, their business. And addiction is one of those things that can keep you from all three <laughs> it can it can stop your career it can it can stop your business and it can end your life that's what addiction can do mark treitler you have been an amazing guest i want to thank you so much for your time uh you you you're doing such great work i am so grateful to you please tell miss leanna i'm i am so proud of her and she's just a i can tell she's a great young woman just reading uh, the things that i read and you my friend uh, one day at a time, stay with it, because um, we need you to keep spreading the message. All right. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate the time, and uh, you keep up the great work as well. All right. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Right, and ladies and gentlemen, that was Mark Treitler, and he was with us here today on A New Direction. What a What a cool dude, man. I mean, he was a cool dude. This is a guy who you know, is lived it. And not only is he living it, he's trying to help other people not live what he had to live through. He's trying to prevent it before it happens. And and that's what this world should be about. We should be preventing all of that. And he's doing that. And I could not be more 
I could not be more proud to have a guy like that on my show because people like that who are on my show who are living examples of how to overcome something in their life is so very, very powerful. So remember, the book is entitled Alcohol, Drugs, and You, A Young Person's Guide to Avoiding Addiction. And the other book that you need to really check out is My Dad is an Alcoholic. What about me? And you need to check out those two books. Great, great books. And folks, don't be afraid to talk to your kids as young as 10, 11 years old about this because this is a gene thing. This is a genetic thing that's passed down from person to person to person. And and what happens is you never know when that switch is going to flip and you don't want that to happen to your kids. So if you can prevent it, prevent it because not everybody can just go and, and do it. And that's okay. Uh, we just have to be very aware of that. So that said, I want to uh, thank all of you for your time today. Uh, as always, this is, it's, I get to do this. How cool is that? I get to do a show like this where I get to um, help people, and which is what my dream was my whole life, is I get to help people be better with life. And so I hope if you're not better today that you can find somebody that can listen to the show that they can be better because that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm grateful for you for listening. I'm grateful for the people who are watching on Facebook. You people are awesome. Inspire somebody today because I promise you, if you inspire someone, you yourself will be inspired and you'll both find a new direction. <laughs> All right, everybody. I will see you soon.